growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The road to right standing with God always begins by recognizing where we got off the road in the first place. Repent. Now that's a word we don't hear a lot in our culture. But just because a word is not used much anymore doesn't mean that it's not still very important for our lives. You want to be in right standing with God? You better figure out where you got off in the first place. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in our series, Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. And as we've been working our way through this great Old Testament book, we've seen lots of great stories of unshakable faith from Daniel and his friends. And we've seen the unbreakable promise of God time and time again through the visions, dreams, and prophecies in the book of Daniel. But today, Pastor Clay is taking us into the first half of Daniel chapter 9, where we find Daniel praying to God to restore the nation of Israel. God had said in Jeremiah 70 years earlier, if you will pray at the end of the time that I've decided, I'll hear it. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Daniel understands that the prayer has to begin by recognizing their sin because it was their sin that got them in trouble with God in the first place. If you've been with us throughout this study, you know that God had allowed Israel to be carried off into captivity by the Babylon Empire. But as we'll hear Pastor Clay explain today, that time was drawing to a close just as God said it would through another of his prophets. The problems for the people of Israel came about as a result of the sin they had allowed into their lives. And in Daniel's prayer today, we'll hear the key to getting right with God. And the key is that little word with big meaning, the word repent. Now here's our pastor with today's important message for our lives. I want to tell you all uh, a story, and, uh, and then I'll let you listen to something here in just a second. But uh, when I was in high school, and uh, granted, that was a long time ago, but when I was in high school, it was a little different then than it is today. You know, now, uh, you know, teachers, it's, it's hard for teachers. Um, back, in, back in the day, y'all remember the day? Back in the day, if you acted up, your teacher could just wear you out. Some of y'all remember, just wear you out, and it, no, nobody cared. Parents just doubled up on it when you got home. They, they just figured the teacher probably didn't do enough, and they, they don't, well, I, I, was in, uh, I was in shop class one day, and ag, this was ag class. Y'all, some of y'all know I'm from Okeechobee, Florida. It, it is redneck capital of the world, and I was in uh, ag class one day, and uh, we were working on welding. We were learning how to weld. Uh, we'd been learning and all that kind of stuff, but we were welding stuff. And uh, it is Okeechobee, it is redneck capital of the world, and there are a lot of guys and occasional girls that chew tobacco. <laughs> um, now, there was, a, there was a no chewing tobacco rule in Mr. Clark's ag class, at least inside. Now, if we were outside working fields or something, he usually didn't care. But, and by the way, I didn't chew. His stuff just made me loopy, dizzy. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I'm a wimp. But there's a lot of guys that, that chewed. Uh, and so uh, there were guys that would chew tobacco when we're welding. You got your mel- welding helmet on, right? And so they would try to sneak a chew under the helmet because they're over there welding. <laughs> got the helmet on and nobody can see. So Mr. Clark, he's, he was no dummy. And he said, if you get ta- caught uh, chewing uh, in class, you got a choice. Either you have to swallow it or take two licks. Uh, keep in mind, this is back in the day. Two licks meant something. I mean, this, was a, this is a paddle about this honking long, you know, with all the multiple holes drilled in it for, for uh, you know, aerodynamics and all that kind of stuff. 
So sure enough, one day, Mr. Clark going through there and everybody's welding and he catches three guys chewing tobacco. And uh, none of them wanted to swallow it. So the first guy, he takes licks. Pow, pow. Mr. Clark wears his behind out. I mean, it's just whoo. And then the second guy, he takes the licks. Pow, pow. He takes the licks. And the third guy, Mike Norman, friend of mine, Mike says, Mike looks at, right at Mr. Clark and he says, you're not paddling me. I'll go to the office. See, Mike thought he had it figured out. He knew what to do, you know, because he'd go to the office and, yeah, he'll get in trouble, maybe get suspension or something, but he's not going to have to swallow it. He's not going to have to get licks. He'll just, you know, have to stay after class or something like that. So Mike had it figured out. So did Mr. Clark. <laughs> Mr. Kiss, Mr. Clark. Now, you'd get fired for this stuff today. I understand you'd get fired for this stuff today, but it's, but it's back in the day. Mr. Clark says, well, boys, I'm going to go on over here to the, uh, to the, to the tool shed. It was a caged-in area where they kept all the tools and stuff locked up. I'll probably be over there 10, 15 minutes. Probably won't have any idea what goes on around here while I'm gone. And he starts turns and he walks away. Well, the other two guys, they had already taken their licks. And everybody, it was kind of a simultaneous thing. Everybody kind of looked at each other. Mike looked at everybody and he knew what was going to happen. And he broke for the door, man. He took off running as fast as he could. And them guys were on him. I had nothing to do with it at all. Them guys were on him like it was, I mean, they were all over him. They took that guy and they pinned him up against a, a cattle chute. Somebody don't know what a cattle chute is. It was one we were, we were rewelding this cattle chute. And they pinned him up against there. <laughs> they wore him out. Two licks. Oh, son, every one of them gave him, gave him two. Not, I had nothing to do with it. But every one of them, they, they wore that guy out. I was thinking about that. I was thinking, man, Mike, Mike, you should have just owned up to it, man. You should have said, yep, I'm chewing. Give me the licks. You, you, you should have you you repented, Mike. <laughs> you you should have repented. This morning, Lou Utley, one of our great uh, sound ministers uh, on our AV team, uh, played for me his ringtone uh, for his wife when his wife calls. Listen to, listen to Lou's ringtone. Danger. Danger. This call is from your wife. It is most likely hazardous. Be prepared for a series of questions to which there are no right answers. Danger. Danger. This call is from... There's somebody in this room that might need to repent before his wife comes down on him about that one change ringtones <laughs> repent repent is a it's kind of an old-fashioned word it's a word we don't hear a lot in our society anymore you don't hear much about repentance or to repent or uh, to to turn you know from your sin that sort of thing if you have a copy of god's word uh, i invite you to open today to daniel chapter 9 you may have a hard copy. You may have an electronic copy. Uh, you'll also have a copy on the screen. We have it on the screen. But we don't have it on the screen just so you can't bring your Bible. We, if you have a Bible, we want you to bring it. We want you to use it, uh, utilize it, that sort of thing. But the text is up on the screen as well. We're in Daniel chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 19 and walking through Daniel's prayer of repentance for the nation of Israel. And it's very important for us. There's some valuable lessons for us, for your life, for my life as well. I know it's Daniel. I know it's history. I know we've been walking through this long time ago stuff. But but I'm hoping that you're picking up throughout this process, hey, there is specific application for my life. Forget about the fact that it was 2,500 years ago. There's truth in here that I'm applying to my life. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 through 19. Thank you so much for being here today. Let me read it to you. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, uh, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. 
In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. By the way, those last three, they're simply outward or physical uh, manifestations or ways to show the, your contrition of heart and the, and the humility of your heart. Uh, uh, when, it, when it talks about uh, fasting, it, to, to deprive themselves of, of food, to say to God, God, I need you more than even this food. I'm, not, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna fast during this time. Sackcloth, it was a rough kind of material and it was not very comfortable to wear, but it was a way to say, God, I, I'm, I'm serious about this. I'm not joking around about this. I'm not just wasting your time. And ashes, uh, they would throw them on their head. It was just a demonstration of, of I, I'm, I'm, I'm so low, I'm like in the dirt. I'm, I'm just, I've really humbled myself about this. Verse four, I prayed to the Lord my God And confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servant, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice, So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. How many times has he said that now? Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses... All this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, And have made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned. We have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, 
our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake, O my God. Do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Father, in these words that we've read, it's... it's uh, Wow, even as I read it, it was almost like I was encroaching uh, on a very sacred time between Daniel and you as he came before you in open confession of the sins of the nation of Israel. He was repenting, and uh, there are times in our life, Lord God, where we forget what that means. So today, as we walk through this, I don't know where each person is spiritually in this room. Some people... Uh, may be new to hearing this whole Jesus thing. Others may be, uh, have already committed their life to you and have been walking with you for many years. Wherever we are in the process, would you take us further in the process for your honor and for your glory? Help us to learn about repentance in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, let me just share with you this morning uh, three ideas about, uh, that are connected to repentance. And they're very important for our life. Let's start with this idea this morning. We need to recognize our sin. If you'd like to take notes, you can, that, that's on the back of your outline or back of your information sheet. Feel free to do that. But we need to recognize our sin. Now, I'm not going to read verse 1 through 8 again because I just read that. I'll read some others in, in a few moments. But there, there's an importance that comes with recognizing our sin. The text opens with the idea that in the first year of Darius, uh, Darius was in charge of that Jerusalem and that part of the world for the Medo-Persian Empire. That means that the Medes and Persians, and if you've been with us, we've been walking through this, you, you may understand this, or if you've read the book of Daniel before, that means the Medes and the Persians have now taken over from the Babylonians. They have conquered them. They have taken over them. We read about that in Daniel chapter 5 with Belshazzar's, you know, dishonoring God, the handwriting on the wall, all that, and that very night. The Medes and the Persians came in. Well, now, in Daniel's timeline, in Daniel chapter 9, the Medes and the Persians have now taken control. That means that the, that the head of gold in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, and again, I know some of you haven't been here, but in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, the head of gold has now fallen, and the arms and the chest of silver representing the Medo-Persian empire have now come into prominence. Now, they've now come to the throne. And in verse uh, 2, it, it says, in the first year... Uh, of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books. He's referring to the books of the prophets. He's referring to, the, to, to those, what we have in our Old Testament, those books of the prophets. Specifically, he's referring to the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who lived sort of as a contemporary of Daniel. He would have been at the latter end of his time. He, he prophesied in Jerusalem. He said, you're gonna, you're, God's going to carry us off. God's going to judge us. God's going to send judgment on us. God's going to bring the Babylonians down on us because you're wicked, because you won't turn back to God, because you won't listen to me. God's going to do this. Jeremiah was living during that time. Daniel reads the book 
of Jeremiah. He, he, he finds that particular book and he reads the book of Jeremiah and he discovers in there something. Now, we'll talk about whether it was the first time he discovered it or not in just a second. But he discovers the time, the amount of time that Israel is going to spend in captivity. They're carried off. We'll look at the timeline in a minute. They're carried off into captivity. He discovers Daniel had prophesied exactly how long it would take place. Uh, look at this. Uh, Daniel chapter 25, I believe it is. We find these words. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Jeremiah chapter 25. This entire land will become a desolate wasteland. This is Jeremiah writing this ahead of time. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for, say it, 70 years. Then, uh, that's substantiated again in Jeremiah chapter 29. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for, say it, 70 years. But then I will come, watch this, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. How many of you have read that passage a number of times and never really thought about the context of it? It's this prophetic promise that God gives. that I'm not done with you, Israel. I'm not done with the time. Yes, you've acted wickedly. Yes, you've gone off into sin. But I have plans for you. I'm not done with you. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And in those days, when you pray, watch this. I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Daniel, in captivity, in Babylon, reads that passage of Scripture in the books, in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. He reads that promise. Now, it is pure speculation, okay? This is just speculation on my part. There's no way to substantiate this biblically, uh, historically that I know of. But I'm kind of of the belief that this is probably not the first time that Daniel has read this passage of Scripture. And, And I say that simply because we know that Daniel was a man of prayer. We know that Daniel was a man of the Word. And I'm just of the belief that Daniel has probably read this passage of Scripture a number of times, and Daniel has used this passage of Scripture in in those dark times, in those dark days, when he's carried off, when it was so dark, when those attacks were coming against him by the other leaders, when the king sentenced him. You know, all this stuff is happening. Uh, Time and time again, all these things happening in his life, I'm of the belief that Daniel would have gone to God's Word time and time and time again, and perhaps to this very specific passage of Scripture, and reminded himself, encouraged himself, and his friends and anybody else that would listen. God's not done with us. I I know it looks bad. I know things are bad, but God's not done with us. God's still got a plan. God's still working. God's going to accomplish his purpose. And I'm telling you, he's going to take us out of this land. He's going to take, he's going to let us go home. I'm just of the belief that Daniel encouraged himself with that. Do you ever, do you ever, do you ever do that? Uh, This is, this is one of my, it's one of my soapbox kind of things, folks. But For as long as I can remember, I've been telling anybody and everybody that would listen to me that everything that you need in life is found right within the pages of this book right here. That that everything that you need in life is found within the pages of of this book. The strength, the power, the faith, the peace, the joy, the the purpose, the direction, that it's all found in the pages of God's Word. But can I just be honest with you? And I'm just, you know... 
I'm not, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus necessarily, but I'm just telling you, in, in my 20-plus years of ministry experience, I'm going to tell you very few people ever take me up on this, on just going to God's Word. Very few people ever take me up on it. And I don't know if because they think I'm being overly simplistic or they think it is too hard to do that or they just don't want to do it. But I'm just telling you, most people just, they just don't do it. And, and we as a culture, I'm on my soapbox, we as a culture, I'm just telling you, we are, we are over-medicated and over-analyzed because we have underutilized the Word of God in our lives. And I'm not saying that there's, there's uh, never a time for uh, medication, and I'm certainly not saying that there's never a time for counseling, but, but I'm, I'm just telling you, uh, people have got their, their physician, their pharmacist, and their counselor on speed dial while their Bible collects dust on their shelf. And I'm not saying there's not a need for those things. I'm just saying, are you lonely in your life? Are you lonely at times? Go to the Word of God. Have you lost your, your joy for living? Have you, have, you, have you been unable to discover your purpose? Go to the Word of God. Do you struggle with particular sins in your life? Do you lust when you know you shouldn't? Do you, do you find it hard to, to be obedient? Go to the Word of God. I'm telling you. Okay. Get off the soapbox. So, there, so there's, a new, there's a new ruler. There's a new sheriff in town. Darius is on the throne now. The Medes and the Persians, they're, they're ruling the land now. And maybe if Daniel had read the passage before, I'm speculating that, but if he'd read it before, maybe it was the fact that there was a change in the regime that, that kind of sparked this in Daniel's desire uh, to, to go to the book of, of Jeremiah. But more than anything else, if he had read it before, I think what took Daniel back to the, uh, to the book of Jeremiah was very simple. Guess how long Daniel had been in captivity up to this point? Almost 70 years. Almost 70 years Daniel has been in captivity. So whether he had gone to it before or whether he was discovering it for the very first time, when Daniel reads this, he's like, oh boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I want to give you a timeline. I know some of you guys, you know, think it's kind of boring or, you know, don't see the point of it for your life. But I want to give you a timeline uh, real quickly because I want you to see again that, that man-made kingdoms rise and fall, ladies and gentlemen, but God never gets off of his throne. That God's plans and purposes are being fulfilled, and this is the God that we can trust in. Let me show you a timeline historically uh, as to how it all unfolded. In 606 B.C., we're starting from the bottom, 606 B.C., Babylon, the empire of Babylon, began to uh, invade, began to attack uh, Israel, specifically the southern kingdom, the, the city of Jerusalem, 606 B.C. In 605, the first Jewish captives were taken to Babylon. The city didn't totally fall, but there was some kind of treaty they reached or whatever, but in 605, uh, the first group of captives were taken to Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all that bunch, they would have been in that first wave that was carried off in 605 BC. Uh, just for reference, just, you know, in 586, the Babylonians just finished it all off. They destroyed the temple, they destroyed Jerusalem, they, they knocked down the walls, they, they decimated the place in 586. But in 539 B.C., the Medes and the Persians conquered the Babylonians. We just talked about that. They, they came in, conquered the Babylonians, took over. 539. In 538, Cyrus, and he's the, the ruler after Darius. It's, it's complicated, but he's the ruler that, that's on the throne. And Darius, in 538 B.C., issues the decree allowing the Jews to return to their land and rebuild the temple. Just like Jeremiah said 
would happen. And then in 537, the next year, somewhere in the next year, 50,000 Jews returned to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel, according to Ezra uh, chapters 1 and 2. So if the timeline, if, if the, uh, if the timeline begins with uh, Jerusalem being attacked and the first captives being carried off, 606, 605 B.C., 70 years later takes us right to 537, 536, that, whole, that, that timeline right in there where it moved in from one year into the next or however, that, that, a year-long period. We move right into there where the 50,000 Jews returned after Cyrus issued the decree to go back. Exactly 70 years, exactly as God had said it would happen. God's word is true. God's word can be trusted. So Daniel goes to the book. Daniel reads it, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, Daniel reads it. Like I said, Daniel's a smart guy. He can do the math, and he says, wait a minute now. And, and, and again, if Daniel's carried off the first wave, 605, um, Medes and Persians conquer in 539, then that, that, that puts Daniel somewhere in the area of 67, 68 years, somewhere right in there that Daniel has been in captivity. Daniel can do the math. Daniel knows, hey, the time is almost up. Hey, the time is almost up. God's going to restore us. God's going to send us back. And so now, going back to the Jeremiah 29 passage, look at it again. Watch this. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I promised, and I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days, watch this, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity, restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nation where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Now, Daniel's prayer comes into focus for us. Now, it, it, it comes into so much more greater meaning. Now, we know why Daniel was focused on this prayer. Why is why Daniel all of a sudden in chapter 9 repenting? Because Daniel knows the time is up. And God had said in Jeremiah... 70 years earlier, if you will pray at the end of the time that I've decided, I'll hear it. And so Daniel starts praying. But listen to me, ladies, here we go, here we go, here we go. Daniel understands that the prayer has to begin by recognizing their sin. It has to, because it was their sin that got them in trouble with God in the first place. It was their sin that got them carried off into captivity. And so Daniel knew, yeah, I, I got, wherever we got off, we got to get, we got to get back on. By the way, that, that's a statement. I want to bring that up on the screen. Maybe you might want to write this down or you might want to say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but it's true. The road to right standing with God always begins by recognizing where we got off the road in the first place. You want to be in right standing with God? You want to walk with God in your life? You better figure out where you got off in the first place if you've gotten off. Daniel understands that. Now, Daniel begins to, uh, to recognize, to confess the sins of Israel. Now, Israel specifically struggled, in, 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 as Daniel brings out, in three particular areas. And I'm going through this as quickly as I can. Three particular areas, three specific areas of sin. And they're important because what you will find in your life, ladies and gentlemen, is the three areas where Daniel struggled with sin are the three areas that you and I tend to struggle in sin. It doesn't really tend to change much. The first one is this. Idolatry before God. In, uh, in the first part of uh, verse uh, 5. We have sinned, committed iniquity, and acted wickedly. The Israelites have uh, been directly forbidden by God. Do not take on yourself graven images or idols. But they did it anyway. 
they took up the practices of the people around them, the nations around them. They took up those practices and they began to, to carve out, make uh, idols, stone, wood, uh, whatever. They would make them out of and they began to bow down and worship them. They began to worship man-made objects instead of the God who made man. That was a problem. Second area of sin that they struggled with, insubordination to God's word. In the latter part of verse 5, Daniel says, and we've rebelled even, watch this, turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. We've not been doing what your word says. Now, let me explain in the context of this what he's specifically talking about. Because they, they had the, they, you know, they, 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 were, they were trying to be good people. They were trying to do the whole God thing. But in the context of this and the connection to the book of Jeremiah, specifically, the, the Israelites had, had rejected God's commandment in his word to keep what's known as the Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest uh, is every seven years and year of Jubilee every 50 years. They said, no, we're not going to do it. A Sabbath rest every seven years and a year of Jubilee every 50 years. Now, I'll show you this in just a second, but hang on. Um, what, what, is, what is all that? What does that mean? Sabbath rest every seven years. Well, here's what God said to the Israelites. Now, listen, guys. Brought you out of Egypt. Yeah, we had to wander around in the wilderness for a while because you're, you're stiff necks. But I think you're ready now. We'll take you into the promised land. Now, when you go in, guys, gals, ladies, gentlemen, Israelites, when you go in, here's what I want you to do. That land's going to be flowing with milk and honey. It's an abundant land. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to plant your crops. You're going to yield your crops. You're going to, you're going to till the soil. You're going to do all that stuff until the seventh year. Every seventh year, nada. Every seventh year, you don't do nothing. That's good English, isn't it? <laughs> you don't do nothing. You don't, you don't till the ground. You don't pull the weeds. You don't plant the crops. You don't do anything. And uh, the year of Jubilee, there were some other things involved in the year of Jubilee, but one uh, component of the year of Jubilee was also no ground tilling, no soil stuff, no crop planting, nothing for that year of Jubilee every 50 years. Every seven years, land rests. And every 50th year, the land rests for a whole year. Nothing. Now, there was a practical side. Uh, some of you that are farmers might right? There was a practical side to this commandment. It gave the soil an opportunity to rest. It gave the soil an opportunity to, to gather back some of the nutrients that it would lose through years of producing crops and, and that sort of thing. There was, there was a, a practical component to it. But there was a much more important spiritual component to it. It was an act of faith. It was a simple act of faith. God says, it's my land. I'm giving it to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to let the ground produce crops. And I want you to walk by faith. And here's a way you can demonstrate that you're walking by faith. Don't do anything on the seventh year. Just trust me. Just trust me. That's that's high wire walking, isn't it? I'm not going to plant any crops for a year. How am I going to live? what God said. It's a faith issue, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? Uh, by the way, can I, I just... God is serious when he says stuff. Can I, can I just tell you this? God means what he says. He doesn't stutter. And he was asking his people to, to walk by faith, to demonstrate their faith. It was important for their lives. It wasn't just so God could just say, oh yeah, okay, cool, they're walking by faith. No, it, God has purpose in it. 
It's, it's, it's where we enjoy the most out of life when we can trust him and know that God is there. In every place. And, and if we refuse, if we reject, if we say, and I don't know, maybe they didn't have enough faith. I suspect that had a lot to do with it. Maybe they were greedy. That could have had something to do with it. Maybe they just didn't care. They just said, oh, you know, that's ridiculous. God didn't really mean that. When he said, I, whatever the reasons were, they just didn't do it. They just kept right on planting their crops, right on tilling the soil, right on harvesting what they had grown. But can I tell you this? God's going to get his, ladies and gentlemen. God's going to teach us truth. So watch this. Look at this in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. This is recounting, historically, looking back at what happened. Look at this. Those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, meaning Nebuchadnezzar. And they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Watch this. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its... Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. If you go back and do the math, the amount of time that they had been ignoring the Sabbath, ignoring those Sabbath rests, added up to, guess how many it added up to? 70. They owed God 70 years of Sabbaths. And I'm just telling you. See, and and listen, folks, it's not about the, the crops that were produced. It's about the faith that wasn't produced. Do you understand? Okay. Uh, third third uh, str- area where they struggled. Ignore God's warnings. They just, they just ignored God's warnings. That prophet after prophet after prophet in uh, uh, verse 6 uh, of Daniel chapter 9, it says this. Moreover, this Daniel still confessing. Moreover, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets, who spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. We just ignored it, God. God is a loving and patient God. Aren't you glad? Man, he is so patient. And he is. And he sent prophet after prophet after prophet saying, saying listen, turn back. God loves you. He, he, he's got a plan for you. You've got to turn back. You've got to trust him. You've got to walk with him. You've got to be obedient to him. Ah, they, most, they killed most of the prophets. Or ran them off or threw them in jail. or what? They, did, they, did, they didn't want to hear it. They wanted to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it and how they wanted to do it. Hmm, that sounds a lot like today. They just ignored God's warnings. Folks, we, Daniel starts by saying, listen, this is what we've done. We've got to recognize it. You and I have to recognize our sin. We have to be willing to recognize where we sin. Now, particularly in case, uh, to, to bring it back, I said most of the way Israel sinned is the same way we sin. Let me just bring them up right again. Idolatry before God. Oh, we don't struggle with that. Maybe them other countries where they have idols and stuff, they might struggle. But here in America, we would never, you know, carve out some image out of gold or, or metal or, or, or wood. Or, we'd never do anything like that and bow down and worship. I, I would pray, I, I pray to God that that would not be true for any of us. But I, I would also say that you and I, it would be a good practice in all of our lives to stop from time to time and, and say, I think I've got a little statement for you up here. And to simply say this. Is there anything in my life that is more important to me or of greater priority to me than my relationship with God and my obedience to God? Let that stay there just a minute. Now stop. Don't even look at me. Look at that. Think about that for a moment. Is there anything in my life that is more important to me or of greater priority to me than my relationship with God and my obedience to God? Because... If there is, that is an idol, my friend. That is an idol. It might be a job. It might be a particular sport. 
It might be a family member. But God's serious about this. We have to put the priority where the priority belongs. And so we need, we need to ask ourselves this question from time to time. Not just once, but I need to go back to it time and time. God, have I let an idol come into my life? All right, second one, insubordination to God's word. Now, obviously, you know, we could apply that to all of God's word. Is there some place anywhere in God's word where I'm not obeying? And, and, and that would be true. But in the context of, of Daniel chapter 9 and what he's talking about in the book of Jeremiah, he's referring to when it comes to faith walking, and particularly faith walking when it comes to the material, physical, natural needs of my life. Am I walking by faith? Now listen, y'all know I don't talk about money a lot around here. Some of y'all, I don't talk about money enough around here. Some of y'all would like me to talk a little more about money. Nate, to share some more about money. I know, I know y'all want to do all that and, uh, and everything. But in the Old Testament, they had to tithe and do this Sabbath stuff. God just asked you and me to tithe. That's the New Testament model. I'm just telling you, that's the New Testament model. To give back 10% of our income to God. Minimum of 10% of our income to God as a demonstration of our faith. And again, it's not about the money that's produced. It's about the faith that's produced. That's what it's all about. That's what it's always been about. Because a relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God, is always built on, based on faith. Faith. And so the New Testament model is that. Am I insubordinate to God's word? Because I, 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 you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have enough faith in God to trust that he'll actually come through for me. Or maybe I just, if, if, I, if I give it, then I'm not going to be able to afford, you know, this. Or I, I don't know what it is. I, we, I'm just saying that was an issue for them. And, man, God, and again, just like the Israelites, boy, i got to close. <laughs> just like the Israelites, can I just say this to you? You don't have to believe me. You don't have to listen to me. You can walk out of here and say, oh, t- typical preacher. There he is again, talking about money. Yeah, yeah, yeah talking about that tithing stuff. Talking about, you, don't have to, you don't have to do any. You don't have to do it. I'm just telling you, God's going to get his. If you are his child, he will not let you walk in disobedience to him because he loves you too much. That's, that's just the truth. That's, I'm just saying. Okay, can, can I, y'all, y'all I'm, I need to close. But I got to get you this other stuff. All right, let's go to the second one real quick. I'm going to go on to the second one. We have to realize God's justice in judging our sin. Uh, save a little time. I won't read 9 through 14 again. You can go back through there and read it. But in 9 through 14, Daniel just says, hey, we're getting exactly what we deserved. We did this to ourselves. God told us when we entered into the covenant with him, he warned us. And then God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn us. And then in verse, actually in verse 14, finally in verse 14, he says, therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord, our God, was right to do all these things, for we did not obey, obey him. In essence, Daniel is saying God would not be just if he didn't deal with us on this, because that's what he said. He said in his word he'd deal with us if we didn't. So if God doesn't deal with us, he's not just. Now let me, let me just say one of the ironies about life today. Uh, those who are considered kind of mili- what are called today's militant atheists, one of the things they would say is, that's one of the things I don't like about God. I read about God in the Old Testament. He's this God of judgment, this God of, of, of condemnation. Now, never mind that they completely ignore the plethora of verses that talk about God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's redemption for any person that would come to him. Never mind that they totally ignore all of that. But let me ask you a question. What kind of world do you think you would be living in today if there were no judges with justice? No judges who were just. What kind of murder rate do you think we would have 
If judges said, yeah, he committed murder, you can go free. Oh, yeah, he, he, he raped her, but can, can you imagine? You can't even comprehend that world. So why do we think it bad of God to be just and to give us what he said in his word he would give us if we didn't? Don't you do the same? If you have kids, don't you do the same thing to your kids? Or don't you do the same thing to your kids? They may not like it. They may think you're being unfair, but you're doing it because you love them. Okay, we, we have to recognize God's right to judge justly. And then the last one is right here. We must repent of our sin. We have to recognize it, realize God has the right to judge it, and then repent, repent, repent. Can y'all say that out loud just once? Repent. That was good. Now, real quickly, I'm keeping you a little bit longer, but it's okay. We're baptizing today. We're going to have a good time. Repentance basically consists of, of two uh, uh, parts. I don't remember what I called it exactly. Uh, two separate actions that occur simultaneously, or basically simultaneously. Repentance is turning from our sin and burning for our God. That is repentance. It's turning from our sin and burning for our God. Let me explain what I mean. Um, recognition that sin is wrong, recognize that I've done wrong, uh, feeling bad about what I've done. Sure, that's all part of repentance. But it's not enough. It's not complete. It should, it should cause me to want to turn to God. In that, in that passage there where, where Daniel talks about that, he begins to talk about the open shame that we have brought, brought upon God by our actions. Sure, should we, we, should, we shouldn't murder. We shouldn't lust after him. We shouldn't commit adultery on our spouse. We should, should we, we should do any of that? No, we shouldn't do any of those things. We should stop doing any of those, all those things. But it's not enough. We have, to, we have to burn for God. We have to desire to go after God above everything else in our lives. That's what genuine, honest, actual repentance is. Turning from our sin, burning for our God. I know I'm flying through this, but let me give you the, the last of it. Let, let, me, let me give you what that means. It, it, it's two separate actions that occur simultaneously, but repentance has two separate stages. There is what I call redeeming or relational repentance. Redeeming or relate, you call either one you want or both of them. It's redeeming or relational repentance. That type of repentance is a one-time thing. You listen to me? It's a one-time thing. When we, when we recognize our sin, as Daniel was calling the people to do, we confess that sin we turn from that sin and we trust Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We surrender our lives to Him. When, the moment we do that, we enter into a relationship with God. We are redeemed. We are bought out of our sin by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So our repentance brought about a relationship. Our, our repentance brought about uh, redemption. I don't mean we did it. I'm saying that, that the fact that we came to repentance, that we turned from our sin and we turned to God... That brought us into right relationship. We were adopted into the family of God. Got me? That's redeeming or relational repentance. The second type of repentance is restoring repentance. Now, I want to be careful here because I want to make sure you understand me. I don't want you to be confused about this. Restoring repentance is not talking about restoring my relationship with God. My relationship, the moment I enter into that relationship, when it's an authentic, genuine relationship I enter into with God, that relationship, ladies and gentlemen, is Permanent. Permanent. It's just, it's like when my, I have three sons. When, when my three sons were born, 
It's a biological fact that they're part of my family. Nothing can change that. No matter what they do, no matter how they act, no matter how I act, they are biologically a part of my family. Nothing will change that. Same thing is true, spiritually speaking. When we are adopted into the family of God, it becomes a theological fact that we are part of the family of God. We can't be unadopted. God's word is very clear on that. So it's not talking about restoring a relationship with God. It's talking about, it's kind of an old churchy word, but it's talking about restoring fellowship with God. Those sons of mine, when they were growing up and and I told them to do certain things and they didn't do those certain things, I had to to deal with them, didn't I? I I had to bring the hammer down. I had to discipline them, whatever, whatever that discipline was. Guess what? I might be upset with them for what they did. They might be mad at me or feeling like they didn't deserve that or, or, or whatever. Our, our, our communication, our, our fellowship is broken. It's strained at that point. So restoring repentance is when I, when I go back to God and I say, God, I know I'm your child. I know I'm part of your family. But God, I have sinned. I've sinned. And I'm sorry. And I want to change. Can I, can I draw back near to you? Can I come to you, God? And guess what you find? Guess what you find? You find a God every single time who's there saying, yes, my child, I've just been waiting for you. I've just been waiting for you to come to that place. One is a one-time thing. And you need to ask yourself, have I, have I done that one time? Have I entered into a relationship with God? Have I been adopted into the family of God because I've repented of my sins, turned away from them and turned to God, burned for God? And if I have, then what do I let come into my life from time to time that kind of breaks that fellowship between me and God? Maybe it's lack of faith with material life that I have. Maybe it's disobedience to some other area of his word. Maybe it's whatever it is. But do I need to restore? It has to start where it started with Daniel. It has to start with me recognizing, God, I've sinned. I've done this thing. Let me, let me bring this up real quick, and then we'll close. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Verse 14, some of you know this passage of Scripture, but let me read it to you. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. That really is two simultaneous actions, ladies and gentlemen. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I will restore their land. Repentance. It's an old-fashioned word, folks, but it still has very significant meaning for our life. Repent. As I said at the beginning of today's message, that's a word we don't hear a lot of in our culture. But as Pastor Clay explained today, repentance is the key to having a right relationship with God and ongoing fellowship with God. As we saw in Daniel's prayer, we have to recognize our sin. We can't ignore it. We can't deny it. And we can't excuse it. We have to realize that God takes our sin seriously and He is just in judging our sin. The solution, of course, is repentance. And as Pastor Clay put it, it's turning from our sin and burning for our God. God is willing and waiting to forgive us when we rebel against Him. But we have to take the step. We have to repent. What about you? Where is your relationship with God? We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. 
Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.